Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. On this episode, we have a special guest, Will Blackman from the Wine MVP. Also, a Super Bowl champion with a 12 year football career in the NFL. Will, welcome to the show. What's happening? Thanks for having me here. Super excited to have you. Here's the deal. This is cool for me because I'm taking my dive into this industry extremely serious. This isn't like for fun. It's not a hobby. So to get opportunities like this to speak about my new passion, this is cool. So thank you guys. Thank you, Rob and Peter. Yeah, no problem. Just to give us some background on you, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. I am from the East Coast, born and raised a big wine drinking mecca over there. Oh, right? oh massive. I, mean, I mean, vineyards since colonial days, you know, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> and then went to school at Boston College. And then I ended up getting drafted to the Green Bay Packers in 2006 in the fourth round. And yeah, like you mentioned before, earlier, Rod played 12 years and I feel every ache and pain still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wine's a lot safer than football. <laughs> Oh, it depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Wine can help soothe the aches and pains. At least that's how I use it. <laughs> it could, but I, I will not prescribe that. <laughs> so when you were growing up, did your family drink a lot of wine? or? So this is funny. I had a conversation with Jason Wise at Psalm TV the other day, and he asked the same question about, you know, did my family drink? I was like, my dad always drank, you know, red wine. And sometimes I would sneak a sip, you know, (laughs) and he said, you know what he liked? I said, I have no idea. I said, but if I was to do a reverse blind tasting, if I can go back into that mindset of a 14 year old, 13 year old William. And I was like, man, it was probably Merlot. I'm just doing that. So I actually, in the middle of the conversation, I text my father I said, Dad, what was the wine that you used to always drink in our house? He was like, oh, it was your grandpa put me on this wine. It was Blackstone Merlot. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn. Was that like in the mid-90s or so? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, when Merlot was taken off and was yeah. the thing. Blackstone was a great, great wine and great value back then. Yep. So what got you into wine? I always enjoyed it just as a regular consumer. Like in college, I think the wine we used to always buy was Vino Verde. It was Casal Garcia. It was like seven bucks and it was, it was pretty sweet. It had a little bit of, a little bit of like carbonation as if it was a sparkling type of wine, whatever. And I thought it was really good and it was cool. And then once I got drafted to the Packers and we'll get into this as well, but that's the same year that the Packers signed Charles Woodson as a free agent. So this was super cool because, you know, I admired him growing up when he was playing at Michigan and on the Raiders. So to be on the same team as him was was super cool. And we played the same position, defensive back. So that was even more cool to be there. And hanging out with him is when I truly found out, like, he was full-fledged in the wine business. So, you know, we would go to dinners or have events and he, you know, he would buy the wine. And, and that's why I started learning more about my palate, not so much about the history and viticulture and stuff. So I think it just grew more, especially my rookie year. 
talk about the transition into like why you jumped into the wine industry in terms of like what was it that was appealing about that and are you in it for the long game? Yeah, so you know, I always tell people there's two transitions that's tough. Your transition into your professional sport. That's difficult because okay, I'm in college on scholarship. I get drafted, I have to buy a house, I got to buy a car, I have bills. I have to become an adult now. There's no, you know, going whatever working somewhere for a bit. You were not able to work during college anyway, you know, so there's nothing that prepares me for that. Then eventually you, you know, you have things like that that can help you out, like NFLPA and their programs. But the hardest transition ever for a professional athlete is when you leave the game. When you leave, it's over with. It's done. You know, it's almost like taking the hamster off the wheel. It's like, okay, he's just like stuck. And what is he going to do? So I could easily go do something. I can go coach, be a general manager. I don't know, do something because I feel like there's a lot of things I can do. But it's not so much what am I going to do next? It's what am I going to be passionate about next? You know, I was passionate about playing the game of football. That's the only thing in life that I wanted to do is play professional football. Okay, where's that next passion? Because some guys may do stuff that they're good at and be like, you know, I'm, I'm over it. And it just so happens that, honestly, not even kidding, like wine is that passion. I did not jump into this because I'm like, oh, this is a chance where I can make a lot of money or this is a chance where I can continue being popular, having a name or trying to be famous. No, I love everything about it. Straight up. I love everything about it. Ever since I took my uh, WSET course, the CMS course, and then we went to Napa and we drove down Route 29 and I'm looking at all these wineries turning my head left and right. And I'm like, there's that, there's so-and-so, there's so-and-so. And then I go to the market and I'm recognizing all these labels of brands. And then I grab a French bottle and I know based off the region where it is. For me, that's exciting. I can't wait for you to have that first experience where someone's like, you're Will Blackman, the wine MVP guy, not, oh, not the- no, 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 listen, I'm so glad you said that. So- the wine exchange used to have tastings every Thursday and Saturday. So we had one tasting that I went to. And this guy walks up to me and he's looking at me. He's like squinting, like in my face, obviously pre-corona. <laughs> and he was like, wait, NFL wine guy. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. He said, what's your, he said, what's your name? <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's Will. And I, and I walked away. I was like, okay, that, that was pretty cool. This is in like January when that happened. He was like, NFL wine guy. I was like, yeah. And then he asked me what my name was. I was like, oh, wow. This is a guy who really like follows me for wine. So that was fun. That, that makes you feel, that makes that you awesome. feel like your, your new passion is opening a whole new audience for you. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing something right. Absolutely. Was there a specific wine that got you into wine? A lot of people who are into wine, there was just this one wine that like, it was like, oh, wow. That's like- yeah, you know, I never really had that aha wine that was like, this is why I love wine. I just like the way wine tastes. It's as simple as that, you know? You I haven't think had I was- it yet, you mean? Well, I was. <laughs> no, listen, you got to drink more with Robert and I, and maybe, maybe it'll. Listen, happen. I was, I was very, very, very fortunate. I think for me, wine is more so like the experience. Like there is a one I'm gonna taste and be like, oh, like that's the one. It's more so the experience. However, a buddy of mine had my wife and I over his house, and we were, you know, hanging out, barbecuing. It was his daughter's birthday, 
And he said, come on, pick any wine you want, any wine. And me, I would never go into someone's wine fridge and pick a wine. That's not me. Same thing. Like if I'm barbecuing, if someone's barbecuing, I would never grab the man's spatula and flip his food. <laughs> like it's a no-no, right? So he said, come on. I was like, I'm good. You pick whatever and I'll be happy with it. So he walks out with, you know, DRC Latage and he opens it up and I'm like, by all means, feel free to pour. That was cool to experience that because you, you read all the history, you hear about that. So he, he opened that up and that was my, it was literally like probably three weeks ago to have something like that. I want to be at a historical vineyard, at a historical chateau and be in the cellar and really get the full experience. I think that's what will happen to me for me to really have the aha moment. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's, that's uh, <laughs> definitely doable too. I know I went pretty deep philosophically, but that's... <laughs> well, it's not only you want the sense of place in the glass, you want to be physically in the place. Yes. Always get the best wines directly from the cellar of the people who make it. There you go. So do you have a favorite style or when Charles was being your mentor and getting you, exposing you to different things, or certain things you gravitated to right away? And has that changed over time? You know, I think my palate was like the general everyday consumer. I liked certain sweet white wines and I liked fruity red blends. That was my deal. I would have Gewürztraminer or Sweet Riesling, or I would have like the Menage a red blend, you know, stuff like that. Was it Apocalypta? Is that what it's called? Apothic. 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 Apothic excuse me. Apothic. Yeah. Apothic red, that kind of blend too. So that's kind of where I was. And then eventually my palate style evolved when I started hanging around, you know, older folks that were really wine collectors. I would go to Milwaukee and there was a man who owned a commercial development company and he would, you know, invite me to dinner when I was in town and he will always order burgundy, red burgundy. And he was like, man, this is just the best stuff on earth. Like he was really proud and just bragged and elaborate about this burgundy. I thought it was really good and outstanding. It was something different. And I remember every time I went to a restaurant, I'm like, look, okay, where is burgundy? And the guy shows me the section and it's like, okay, there's like 20 different burgundies. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. So I just blindly picked one and the guy brought the wine and I'm like, this is not burgundy. This is white wine. <laughs> he, he's like, no, this, he's like, this is burgundy. I was like, no way. I said, the, the wine I had burgundy was red. He go, and then he started trying to get into it a little bit. And I, I felt silly. So not only from that, but also going to certain corporate functions and events and people will swirl the glass and try to explain the legs and all this stuff to me how it was the quality. I was like, you know what? I want to learn this and understand this myself. So I would go, go to the internet, watch some stuff, watch YouTube, get a couple books. I subscribed to Wine Business Magazine and Wine Enthusiasts and all these things to truly understand. And it's really hard to study this stuff on your own, you know, without some kind of education there. So some documentary came out. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's different. That is a whole different beast on how to understand and evaluate wine. Also, during part of that documentary, they started showing history of the wine. And as I mentioned before, that's, that's what I love. That's how I fell in love with the game of football was because my dad was showing me these old VHS films of the guys who paved the way, who made the game. So to see this history, 
historical stuff about the wine and how these guys studied and evaluated wine, then that's why I was like, okay, I need to find something like that. So fortunately for me, here in California, I'm kind of near MS Peter Neptune's wine school. He has one here. So I immediately went there right after the season and I took WSET2 and just, you know, passed that one. And that changed everything. That gave you a foundational language to speak a lot, wine. I often think of wine as like a foreign language and you have to learn yeah. essentially the grammar and understand all what all these components mean. Right. No, it did. It's exactly. It's a foundational language was W set two for me. It's like, okay, I can go to Spain and I have the foundational language, you know, Spanish, I, where I can navigate myself through the streets. But in terms of me actually sitting there and having a full on intellectual conversation, not there yet. So that's what W set two did for me. And then I got to just understand more and more and more. And if you have the foundational language, then you're better than majority in terms of what you know. And then during the uh, off-season training, when I had to go back to the Redskins, I was able to link up with some wineries in Leesburg, Virginia, which is a known area for wine. And I would literally work out, practice. As soon as practice was over, I would shoot over to the vineyard and work on the vineyard because I really wanted to know what that was like. So yeah, and I just kept learning and growing and growing and growing. And then this past winter, I passed the CMS one, quartermasters was level one. So it's been cool, man. It totally changed everything. I learned to not be subjective. Right. Yeah, with the wine. It's like, okay, whether I like the wine or not, was this wine well made? You know? It's like, yeah. okay, people made talk whatever about white Zen, but if I have a white Zen, yeah, it may not be my glass of wine or whatever, but is this a well done, properly made white Zen? Yeah. Or sometimes it's not even about how good the wine tastes. It's more so about what happened when that wine was made. You know, like the story of that wine is what makes it super cool. It seems like you're really into the history part. And tying back to wanting to visit some really old vineyards, and that's where you may get your, you know, epiphany moment. Do you have a bucket list of places you want to go to? So this is pretty cool. Quick story, right? So when I was here in November last year in California, a gentleman reached out by the name of Michael Jones or Mike Jones. He used to cover the Redskins. He used to work for NBC. So he calls me, he says, hey, man, like I pitched a story to my boss about you being an NFL player turned sommelier. You know, that's how they put the story. I'm like, yeah, you can come out here. We can talk about it. Cool. No big deal. So he comes out here. We go through the story. And then he calls me the next week. He's like, hey, I'm going to release the story tomorrow. I'm like, perfect. I get up next morning. And my phone is literally, I'm ready to throw it in the damn pool. But it was going off nonstop. Come to find, I thought he was going to post his article on, I think, The Athletic or something like that. Come to find out, he posted on the front page of USA Today Sports. Wow. Like a, yeah, yeah, ex- that's what I said. <laughs> I said, whoa. So it was a picture of me pulling bottles, and my phone just went nuts. People from all over the place. So one of the calls I got was from Lynch Baj in Bordeaux, and you know they wanted to do something cool, work something out. And so I ended up speaking to the director over there, Stephen Bolger, and we were talking and talking and he was like, wait a minute. He's like, are you an Eagle? I was like, as in BC, he was like, yeah. He goes, dude, he was like class of, I think 89. 
so he's been living in Bordeaux for 30 years and he's a director of Lynch Bosch. And obviously, you know, we're, you know, alumni together. So we, we developed a cool relationship. So yeah, that'd be one of the places to go. And then Lafitte just reached out. And so I would definitely love to go there and definitely going to go to Catena. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty cool building. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely going to go there. And for sure, I want to go to Champagne. I do. I want to go there. So there's a couple of places yeah, that I want to check out. And then I want to go to Alsace. I want to go right there on the border and see what the hell is the deal. Because <laughs> you mentioned you like Gwurtstraminer. That's, you know, essentially yeah. the best place on earth for Gwurtstraminer. And pretty yeah. much every other Gwurtstraminer is not as good as something from Alsace. Right. I'm sure people not necessarily agree with me, but <laughs> it is largely considered the best. Yeah, you said it, not me. So let's talk a bit about NFL and wine. So you had some great mentors and other people that were dabbling in wine in the NFL. You broke out from your training classes and your winter breaks, and you were, were learning from WCT and the CMS. How did you jump into, like, I want to do the wine club? Okay, so I originally wanted to start my own wine label. That was the original thing. Networking and developing relationships with all these winemakers, I asked them all their advice in terms of starting a wine label. And this is crazy. They all said the same thing. Every single one said, you can have the best grapes. You can hand harvest. You can have the best bottles. You can have the best whatever. They said, at the end of the day, can you sell it? Period. Like, can you sell the wine? And I was like, okay, well... I need to get some retail experience, some wholesale experience, some kind of experience that has to do with selling wine and, and distribution, whatever. So a friend of mine was like, hey, you should go check out my two friends, Kyle and Tristan at the wine exchange. And I'm like, okay. So I went over there and this is, it's just funny. You know, this NFL guy walks in asking to like intern, if you will, <laughs> to sit there and, and check out. And I was like, I just want to check out the wine prices and just see what costs what and why certain things cost whatever. Just trying to learn that part. They're like, yeah, you can hang out. So I hung out there for about two days. Tristan, the other owner, calls me in the office. He's like, hey, like, what exactly do you want to do? I said, I want to start my own wine label. He says, so you have a pretty good network. I was like, yeah, I have a pretty good network. And guys ask me for wine, you know, questions and advice and where to get things. And I do that. He said, you should probably like focus on that more. He said, think of like, kind of how Christian Navarro in LA who at Wally's, that's how he was. He kind of was a sommelier to the stars, if you will. And pretty much I could be that for the pro athletes. And I remember I created a handle and I titled it NFL wine guy. You know, I thought it was super catchy, really cool. And the reason I did that is because when I started talking about wine on my Twitter handle, people did not give a damn. They were like, dude, shut up, talk about football. We don't want to hear about this wine. <laughs> So I created the handle NFL Wine Guy, and, and immediately about 2,000 people followed that handle. I was like, this is cool. Maybe I can create a cool wine club. And then when the article came out, that's when I was like, okay, I need to move now. I need, <laughs> I need to capitalize on this while I had this buzz. So I ended up partnering with the Wine Exchange because it would have taken me so long to get my own distributor license, wholesale license, all that thing. So I was like, let me partner with them. They can be the vendor. They have access to everybody in the world. They have over 30 years of experience and they're actually teaching me that side of the business as well. So I thought it was a win-win across the board. However, I was nervous about using the acronym NFL. So I reached out to the NFL 
And obviously, they want an arm and a leg in terms of licensing, right? I can imagine. Which could pay off in the end. You know, if I'm like, hey, say if they want like 4%, then no matter how big the company gets, I'll keep them at their 4%. So that's another conversation. So I was like, you know what? I don't even want to deal with any of this stuff. Like, let me just go a different route. So we went to change the name. Me and our creative director, Patrick Meyer, we ended up creating calling the wine MVP, which I thought was super cool, real catchy. And also it crosses over to every single sport because I wanted to have some luxury feel with it as well as some kind of still keeping the sports theme with it. But the main reason though I created the wine club is because I was already doing the personal concierge stuff. I have clients like Matt Ryan. I did his entire cellar, Reggie Bush, his cellar too, and Justin Tuck. So a bunch of like football guys. And I was like, okay, not everyone is going to buy a $300 Opus or Harlan Estate or stuff like that. Like everyone's not going to buy that. So how can I create something that has the luxury feel, but it's for everybody and it's also educational? Because my biggest thing with the wine industry is that everyone who's not in it finds it intimidating. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, or you're talking over my head or everyone's scared or, you know, or it's for the upper echelon. You have to have a suit and a tie and an ascot and a serviette all the time. Just because Robert's dressed like that now, it doesn't mean everyone's like that. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't need to be. So how can I find a way to introduce wine, let's say to beer drinkers and have them not only appreciate it, but also enjoy the wine too. So that's the whole reason why I created the wine club. And it's been cool because we have some wines that people had no idea about. And with the videos that I post that are my box reviews that they got to learn about that too. So that's, that's the cool part. And what I really wanted the wine club to be different is this is not a knock or a diss against people who use private labels because they have a brilliant marketing plan. They use private labels and they do very, very well. But I really wanted to get wines that had great reputation, some history, like this, the common theme that we've been talking about the whole time and some juice, you know, just a lot of power in the industry, you know, like our last month, I shall box with this month, excuse me, was Spotswood and Catena, two wineries that have been around for over a hundred years, rich history in their respective regions. So stuff like that. Yeah. That's probably like when I saw that box, the well, insiders, normal wine, right? So people in the wine industry, they'd be like, oh yeah, those are great wines. But people who aren't in the wine industry were probably like, I've never heard of those. <laughs> right. And so that's a great, that's a great sweet spot right there. No, exactly. And then I have these cool trading cards that are my notes, all my tasting notes, all my, you know, whatever I recommend for pairing. And that's just really brief. And then you go to our YouTube channel and then I get more elaborate about the history and why I like this wine. And I'm speaking just how we're speaking right now. I'm, I'm not trying to be super articulate and be perfect. And even when I go through the tasting notes, I'm not using, you know, my court of masters grid. I'm not going through the whole thing and tell us, say something. People are like, what, what, what rocks? What do you mean? <laughs> you know, no, I'll give you the quick, simple notes. And then if there's something that's important, like, okay, if I have a white wine that has, okay, so the Spotswood, it wasn't your typical Sauvignon Blanc because it had the least stirring in it, mm-hmm. which brings more complexity to the wine. That's an important thing to mention, you know, or if I had a Chardonnay that was, had some MLF in it, 
You know, that's that's important too. Okay, let me school people up on why this is that, especially MLF, because everyone thinks people put butter in California shards, which is not the case. But so what started with the trading card? Because I thought the trading card was a genius thing that also plays into the brand very strongly in terms yeah. of MVP. And it's actually pretty big, but each wine has one. Yeah, no, we we want it to be a large card, not a not a small regular size, like a tops card or or something like that, or FLIR. We wanted to be, you know, I think it's like five by seven, but it was keeping that sports theme with it. Our logo is, you know, the wine bottle with the football. And so to try to keep that, like I said, the sports vibe with it. So it's Patrick and I decided, okay, that's what we're going to put inside the wine box. Like we want to give you, you know, a welcome card and some tasty notes about each thing. So I was like, man, the trading card would be sick you know, to do that. So on the front, you have the bottle and on the back, you have the stats, the wine stats, you know, where it's from, what it's about, what does it taste like? What does it go well with? And so that's, that's the whole reason for that, the trading card. And do you give people an opportunity to rebuy those wines if they want more of them? As of now, there is no opportunity to rebuy, but eventually, you know, maybe there'll be something like that. So let's, uh, let's break down the business side a little bit. So it's two bottles of wine every month. What's it cost? Yeah. So the business side of it is two, I specifically say two premium bottles. You get those every month, $79.98, shipping included. You just go to the winemvp.com, click on the wine club, and you just subscribe. It's, it's very, very easy. So how do you choose the bottles each month? Before coronavirus, I would go into the wine exchange and when the distributors would come into the store, I would sit at the table and I would just sit there anyway, just, just to work my palate and to understand and learn more about the wines. But if there was something that stood out that also the price worked with our box, then that was something, okay, I make note of that one. Okay, I make That's what happened in our very first box. There was a gentleman, African-American guy named James Pendergrass. He came in and he brought this Bordeaux blend made in Napa called Chateau La Loupe Gris. And... I tried it and I was like, dude, this is, this is rocking. You know, no one, he's a small producer. He doesn't make much. I think he makes like maybe a hundred cases or something like that. And I was like, damn, this is the real deal. And, you know, we talked about the price and it ended up working out. I was like, okay, I really want to, cause this is something I believe everyone would enjoy. And so that's, that's how the first one started. Or I'll just go there in the wine shop and I'll pull stuff. But that's what I've been doing as of late because I really have been sitting with distributors because of that reason. So people are actually just sending me wine directly mm-hmm. in terms of, Hey, check this out. Or maybe I'll reach out and I'm curious about stuff. So it's a lot of it is, is definitely remote in terms of how I'm picking the wines. And then usually the guys at the wine exchange, they'll recommend like, Hey, what do you think about this one? So, so do you usually choose like a primary and then try to find another bottle that meets that price point? Or are you just, are you looking for a, an equally priced pair of wines? You know, it depends because I want to have two quality wines. I don't want to put in, you know, one wine that's legit, got all these scores, all this, that's Grand Cru. And then I give you, you know, a really low end wine just because it meets you know, we want something that really is rocking. So even with that, the first box too, I, I had a wine from Rui from Burgundy, mm-hmm. white Burgundy, <laughs> a, white, a white Burgundy from Marie Jacquesson. She's super badass, man. She, she doesn't even submit scores because she doesn't even care. But her wine is 30 bucks and it's in pretty much every three-star Michelin restaurant in France you could think of. 
So stuff like that. And then month number two, we had Mario Scapetto from Fiori Venezia. We had his Pinot Grigio, which for those who are in the scores, James Sutton gave it 96. And then I got a Pinot Noir from Gavin Chan and the Channing Company up in you know, Lompoc. This Pinot Noir was unreal. And that was, for those who like scores, that was 95 points as well, too. And then they worked. So I, I don't want one to truly dominate the other one. It's almost like a heavyweight fight, right? It's like two, two wines in this box. Like, okay, we got some real action here. That's, that's the common theme that I want to stick with. How many boxes have you delivered thus far? And not in terms of like number of that have been shipped out, but in terms of like what version of the box are you on now? We're on four. We just shipped out three. I literally just picked out box four wines today. Any spoilers? Kind of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm drinking it. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> I like it. That was a very that was a very stealth way to slide that in there. <laughs> he told us before we hit the record button. <laughs> these wineries, like is, you're also getting hit up by all these wineries. So are you are you purely leveraging the wine exchange connections? Or are you kind of you're also now starting to branch out and leverage your own too, right? Since April, you know, a lot of it's been people reaching out, people sending stuff. One winery in particular reached out to me and we're gonna do something and it's gonna be massive. I mean, it's, it's going to be super, super cool. It's it's going to be for September. And it's so hard to not mention it, but it's going to be really cool. Yeah, sorry, I can't give you breaking news on the... On, all on good, all good. It would be, <laughs> be better if we didn't ask, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's been cool too, is to be able to develop these relationships with these wineries. And that's been the fun part is to do that. You know, and, and everyone understands the process is like no hard feelings or like one guy, Michael Davis Jr., he sent his wines called 2010 and he's a you know black winemaker in Napa. Never heard of him, never knew his wines. And he said, hey, you mind if I send you my wines? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, he said, I understand if you don't pick my wines. But I said, at the end of the day, if we don't pick your wines, because this is a tough process. Now people know about your wines. You know, that's that's the benefit. You're you know, you're around some pretty good people who know about it. So I tried his wines. He had a, he had a Syrah, which was like really good, like really well made. You know, I think some guys would be a nitpicky. I'm like, Oh, you know, the finish wasn't as long. There's like the, the middle is tough. And it, because the guys I work with, they really know each terroir like to the depth. And he also had a Rosé, which I thought was good. And, And Rosé, I have, I struggled to find a really good one. And the one he sent me was really good. Nice. In your wine club, how do you view it being different than other wine clubs out there? Even, I don't know if the wine exchange has, just to be clear, this wine exchange is the one in Orange County? Yep. That used to be in, in okay, I'm from Orange County. So I, I've, okay. been to that, I've been to that store. It's actually, it's got a really great selection. And, and yeah. Pricing. Yeah. How do you view the wine MVP as being different from other retailers, wine clubs, or other wine clubs? Yeah, well, first and foremost, as I mentioned earlier, is these are carefully curated wines, wines that exist, wines that have history, wines that have great reputation, wines that have a strong place in this industry. That's number one. Number two, I'm all access. I'm all in there. I'm being the wine educator. I'm the one taking you by the hand on this journey. We're learning together. This is not a, you know, you learn from me 
this is how it is. Like, no, this is totally together thing. And then also too, there's the concierge side of it where there's going to be, you know, trips and tastings and dinners and events and tours and all that stuff. Like obviously things aren't going on right now. That's what's really going to elevate this part of the business is, is that part. So I have invites that pretty much everywhere you can think of guys are ready for me to just get a group of people and, and fly there and just really show them, you know, what it's all about. So what's been super successful for you in getting the word out? Obviously, you mentioned that newspaper article was the catalyst to starting this club. And I see you everywhere in social media. Like I'm on a lot of wine posts every day and you're you're on a lot of them too. And you're always oh, commenting in terms of what have you found has made you successful in getting the word out? Yeah, well, what that wine article did in USA Today, what it did for me is it let people know like this is this is serious stuff that Will's doing. He's not just some whatever celebrity athlete guy who just likes wine. This is somebody who is getting the education, who's getting the certifications, who's getting his hands dirty in the vineyard, who's speaking the language like anyone else in the wine world. What that article did, it actually gave me respect. You know, it gave me some some validation. Obviously, I'm still a young pup in this game. That's what it did for me. So it's like, okay, now when Will starts talking about wine, he's he's being for real. That was the main thing for me. But in terms of anything else, man, it's just, it's a slow burn for me. I'm trying my best not to be like real gimmicky. Sure, you can call me an influencer, but I'm not going about it as an influencer. I'm being very careful in terms of the collaborations, you know, that I talk to and, and work with whatever the podcast that I talk to and work with. If it's, if it's a situation where it's like this person is really serious and, and is really big on discussing wine, then sure. I mean, I'm nice about it. I'm not be like, Oh no, I don't do whatever. And that stuff may work for everybody else. But I want to do my best to not be gimmicky. I want this to last for a lifetime, you know? And that's what I'm really striving for. So for me, it's a slow burn. Like even with this wine MVP thing, I haven't done much advertisement. I post stuff on my social media. We have our Wine MVP page on Instagram. We have our Facebook. We have our, you know, Twitter. But I'm not just oversaturating everybody with posts all day long. It may work. It, it may not work. But I, I like the pace that I'm going at right now. That's kind of how I want to go about it. And I'm carefully looking at every single possibility, every single loose end, every single adversity that I might go through. Because yeah, I could I could spike early and you know, let's say we have two hundred subscribers and everyone's doing well, everyone's making money, it's going well. Then it's like now what? You know, then all of a sudden I got one hundred subscribers, then I got fifty subscribers because everybody's over it. You know, and I don't I don't want that. I wanna really just carefully, slowly educate everybody and eventually, you know, grow it as big as possible and have it be successful. Have you found certain channels like YouTube or Instagram or Twitter more successful than others? Or is there like, what's your bread and butter in terms of getting the word out? Like, yeah, right, it's your- right, right now it's Instagram. It's Instagram. I'm, I'm the most active on Instagram. I have the most followers on Instagram. And, you know, the IG lives are, are big in that regard, doing that and, and getting the support there. And, and the reason is, is because of, you know, COVID. You're seeing all of these classic old school wineries having Instagrams now. You have them reach out to a younger audience. Like, 
when Louis Latour reached out because they wanted to have me on Instagram live with them, I thought that was interesting. It's like, here you have an old school classic Burgundy, you know, winery who wants to go on Instagram live. You know, they send a representative, one of their sales members there, sale directors to do that. And it's because they're trying to evolve. They're trying to evolve and, and, and now, okay, we need to reach an, another audience. So I was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'll, I'll definitely do that. So that's what's, that's what's been really cool and different and interesting. And have you seen from the Instagram translating into wine club signups? Actually, yes, they have. And mainly because of my videos, my educational videos, because they're listening and they're able to understand just, you know, how I'm able to explain it. And they're like, man, that just sold me right there. It's for those who have already purchased the wine, but it's, yeah, there's a sale pitch in there. It's like, hey, this is what you get. This is, and this is fun. And so as long as I feel like I continue to show that energy and people want to sign and want to join, yeah, I'm not forcing anybody. I'm not on anyone. I just, I want you to organically feel interested to join. Peter and I have long talked about the wine industry needs to break down some of these barriers and figure out how to reach the younger demographic. And I actually think NFL and athletes or NBA or whatever we're talking, like that's, that's a huge opportunity combined with social media as an opportunity to really broaden the user base that drinks, you know, quality wine and quality wine can mean anything, you know, from $10 and up basically like, you know, and I feel like a lot of what you're doing about your approach seems to really resonate with that thesis. I had a conversation with the winery the other day and they're an old school classic winery. And that's what they're saying is what coronavirus did. It pretty much forced these wineries that were sitting back and not reaching a different audience to go and do something. Because what they would do is they would sit back and let the other innovative wineries go ahead and try that stuff to see if it worked. And then they will slowly introduce it into their marketing format. Where now it's like, okay, you're not getting visitors, you know, you're not selling much wine. So you need to find another way to reach a different audience to try to get some of your wine sales up. And I feel like now their hand is forced to go ahead and reach these younger audience. But yeah, that's what I am for. I'm I'm able to, and this is me like pat myself on the back, I'm able to communicate with the baby boomers who know the variety they like. Like, okay, you like, if, if my, you know, my dad likes Merlot, then he's drinking Merlot and that's it. You ain't changed his mind. So I'm able to ex- speak to him and find other Merlots for him. But also I'm able to speak to, you know, our generation who is more flexible and they want other things. And then I'm able to speak to the younger generation who, you know, they're going to spend maybe 12 bucks, you know, okay, let me find you something that's badass. That's 12 bucks. And so be it. So that's that's kind of where I think I can hit all platforms. Hmm. In the Wine MVP Club, who's your primary audience? Like, who's who's your average customer? Are they male, female, NFL lovers? You know, it's all over the place. It's everywhere. It's every age. It's both genders. It's a bunch of my you know colleagues signed up last month for the box and. So that's, that's the cool thing about it. I have people that are 80, I have people that are 21. <laughs> so that's the fun part about it. So colleagues meaning like ex-NFL NFL players? Yeah, NFL players, yeah. Yep. 
I've read a lot about and you know met some of these people, the NBA players being really into into wine. You've got obviously LeBron and Carmelo and a bunch with wineries like Dwayne Wade and Steph and all that. Is the NFL equally as into wine as the NBA, or for some reason have they gone different? I'm sure there's a lot of guys that enjoy wine, but in terms of the level that these NBA guys are drinking and what they're drinking, it's not even close. It's not even close. I mean, LeBron and Carmelo are drinking Petrus like it's like it's uh, ocean spray. <laughs> if they, you know, it's it is that's that's it's just different, you know. In a sense, too, it kind of it kind of messes up the wine industry a little bit because these people are looking up to these athletes and what they're drinking, and then they look up those wines. They're like, I can't do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's similar to the rappers back in the day when they were, you know, drinking Cristal. <laughs> it's like you go, to the, you go to the wine shop, you look for Cristal, you're like, oh, dude, you know. <laughs> I've tuned into one of Carmelo's uh, What's in Your Glass or What's in My Glass, mm-hmm. uh, where he goes on live and he brings people on and he's just like, yeah, I'm drinking this like value. And it was like a George Comte Vogue Burgundy Premier Cru. It's like a $340 bottle of wine. He's like, I like this wine. It's a good value. And, I'm just yeah. looking at and then the, the first value. guy that pops up. Yeah, the first guy that pops up is like, I'm drinking Apothic. <laughs> and he's like, all right, all right. <laughs> but he was, but, he, but honestly, <laughs> besides that price differential, he was super cool about it. He was just like, I'm happy you're drinking wine. No, but that's what it is. That's all that matters. If you're drinking wine, good, sold, sold. So I had a, it's funny, I had a buddy, he like tagged me on his story. He was drinking Louis Martini, one of his cabs. It was one of his lower, lower cabs. I think the price point was like maybe 20 something bucks. And I was like, dope, you know, solid, give him credit and repost it on my story. And one of my buddies hit me up was like, oh, you lost all credibility. You can't, we can't repost that and say solid Louis Martini. I was like, bro, I was like, first I said, number one, he's drinking wine. That's all I care about. I said, number two, go to Louis Martini's site. You're going to find some hundred dollar bottles of wine over there. And that's why I really got to school him up. I was like, everybody has a lower level wine. You know, Katana just got a hundred points for her two wines. And the one I had was more reasonably priced for my customers that want wine, you know, like everyone has different wines, different levels. So I was like, dude, my grandma, every time I go to her house, like open up her fridge and there's white Zin everywhere. That's what she likes. I get a glass (laughs) (laughs) and I hang out with grandma. It's all good. If you drink wine, it is all good. So what are your thoughts on uh, athlete or celebrity wine brands? Have you tasted a lot of them? Yeah, I think it's cool. I think the part I appreciate is when they're actually like in the vineyard, you know, because there are, there are a lot of people that would just partner, put their name on it and maybe visit it to get pictures. But those who are really working, like, for example, Two Wolves by Pink. I haven't had her wine yet, but she is there. She works in the vineyard. She's harvest. She's doing everything there, you know, to, to do it. And, you know, Charles Woodson with his nuke line intercept, he's always over there in California with his. I like when guys are really invested. Yeah. When they're all in. I think it's cool. You know, I have, I have nothing negative to say about it. I think it's really cool because I, you know, I wish I had my own wine. Is that the end game? Is that a, do you think you're going to go there in, in terms of either setting up a winery? Yeah, I think that's the end game. I like having the flexibility right now where I'm not competing with other wineries, but I think eventually 
you know, when my business is, you know, where I'm feeling comfortable about it and I'm like, okay, I think I want to start doing this, making wine, then, you know, eventually I, I will want to do that. Well, like you said at the beginning, the hard part is uh, selling it. Yeah, <laughs> the no. The easy part is making no. it. So if you get that part solved first, then your own label will be. No, seriously. I had one winery that was like, hey, we'll cost some crushed wine for you as long as you can move 100 cases. If you can move 100 cases, we'll do it. Can you promise you that? I was like, I'm not, first of all, I'm not ready. No, I can't <laughs> promise you that. So, personal question I saw. The answer is no. <laughs> so is your wife as into wine as you are? And how is that? Because my wife likes wine and we love it when we go out and, or go to wine country, but I have a lot of wine at the house. And, uh, and for her, it's like clutter, but I was just curious. It's like, is your wife as into wine as you? Is it a hobby you guys enjoy together or are you kind of on a different level? She totally enjoys wine and it's been fun because her palate is very interesting. For example, right now her favorite white wines Chenin Blanc from Vouvray. She loves Bordeaux Blend, Left Bank. Obviously, she, she likes Cab. She loves the Catena wines. She likes GSM blends. And she likes Chablis, Chardonnays. That's what's fun. You know, I'm like, oh, wow, she likes all these different, these different wines. It's not like, oh, I just want to try this. And she's, no. So, yeah, she enjoys a glass. But in terms, of being, in terms of being a geek like me, no. For the wine geek uh, things, I tend to have to be Robert's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I will be. Uh, that's truthful. There are there are wines I'd rather share with Peter than my wife because I think he'll appreciate it more. Um, yeah, no, because she had the the DRC too, and she appreciated. But I know in the back of her mind, she was like, "Is that it?" <laughs> so. Yeah, there's like for the average person, there's like a price scale. It's like, okay, if I get this much pleasure out of a hundred dollar wine, when a wine costs this much, I expect twenty times the pleasure. <laughs> or right, the, the like yeah. the wow factor. Yeah. She's like, mm, I don't she's I don't know if I taste six grand in this in this sip right here. <laughs> in relation to like wine clubs or the future of like athlete-based wine businesses, what do you think are trends or fads? What do you think is a trend that will stay? What do you think is a fad that will fizzle away? I think the trend that will stay are the Instagram lives. I think that will stay because people have been able to make connections with people that they never would have. You know, one of my biggest connections who became a really good friend of mine is, is Charles Smith up in Washington. We ended up communicating and he's like, hey, man, like whatever you need, like, let me know, which is really cool for him to reach out like that afterwards. I think canned wines might go away. Really? Interesting. Yeah, they're, they're not I, part I, of your picnic. No, not go away, but it's going to be an oversaturated market like the seltzer, mm. like that. Yeah. Okay. So every, everybody's kind of rushing to get into the market, and you think there's going to be winners and losers, and we're going to get a couple that are going to like take the market. Yeah, like I think the canned wines are fun. They're cool. Like I'm probably going to make a canned wine eventually. Who knows? But it's one of those. It's like the CBD trend, right? Like everybody has CBD now. Obviously, all CBDs aren't created equal, but everyone does. Everyone does make CBD like Pachamama. That's my sponsor. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, but all aren't created equal. And so that's the thing too, is you're going to have to find that out. But I think that the Instagram lives, these meetings, these virtual tastings, that's what's going to really stay. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally new way to reach an audience and, and allow people to participate. And I think that participation factor 
is huge and actually makes people want to tune in live and, and see what's going on. Right. Without having to leave your house. Perfect. Well, Will, thank you so much for giving us the full rundown on, uh, on your background and also how you got into wine and then uh, the Wine MVP. It's a super exciting club. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate it, man. This is a great opportunity and thanks for uh, reaching out, man. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, Shame. cheers. Cheers.